Welcome to Truly Legendary, a beginner's guide to legendary and mythical creatures. I'm your host, TJ. And I'm Jessica. And this week, we're going to finish up our three-week special on the Mothman. It's going to have everything in the kitchen sink in this episode to finish up all the extra information that we haven't been able to cover with this myth. Everything from UFOs to Men in Black to conspiracy theories. So buckle up and hold on tight because there is a ton of info in this. This is the conclusion of the Mothman. Welcome back, and we're in our last week of the Mothman. We're going to try and finish everything up this week, but there is a lot of information and a lot of extra stuff that goes into this. And again, like I said in the intro, this includes everything. I mean, there's nothing that's not involved with this myth, and it's fascinating how it goes from one thing to another so quickly. And it all surrounds this cryptid-type creature that we knew as the Mothman. And a few weeks ago, we talked about how it showed up in Point Pleasant in 1966 and disappeared in December of 1967. But what we haven't talked about is what happened the week before the Mothman showed up. And that's where we're going to start tonight is the story of Woody Derenberger and his encounter with a man by the name of Cold. So it's about 7.30 in the evening of... November 2nd, and Woody Derenberger is on his way home. He is a traveling sewing machine salesman. <laughs> he goes door to door and he sells, sells sewing machines. Well, he's on his way home. He's in, he's in his early 50s at this time, and he's, he lives just outside of Point Pleasant, about 20 miles northwest of Point Pleasant, and he's leaving Marietta, Ohio just crossed the river and he's getting close to Point Pleasant and a black vehicle goes flying by him like he's sitting still which is not overly uncommon we all have those instances when we're on the highway or something like that and somebody just goes flying by us and we don't pay any mind to it or you automatically think I hope the police is like right over that hill exactly <laughs> and I'm sure Woody's thinking that but almost immediately after this car goes flying by him, something else passes him. He described it as a UFO. He didn't know what it was, but it went flying by, and it made a very odd U-turn in the middle of the road right in front of him. It almost drifted to a stop, which cars in 1960s weren't able to do this. Oh, by the way, it was about six inches off the ground. It was floating. Oh, jeez. It was not... It, was a tra- it wasn't a traditional UFO. He described it to look like a long cylinder with a bulbous end. He said the best way to describe it was like an old lantern 
how the, like you would see at a Cracker Barrel or something like that, where the top end's real skinny and it goes down and bulges out like the tube. You can laugh. It's okay. <laughs> I didn't know if I could be inappropriate. <laughs> but that's the way he described this thing. He said it was it was very odd looking, but it wasn't what you would think of as a flying saucer or a UFO or something like that. No, you normally think of like the circular. The discs yeah. or the triangles or something like that. I don't like the triangle ones. No. And I know that's just a personal preference, apparently. But so he says this thing stops right in front of him. And he says, a door opens up. And it wasn't like a futuristic door. He gets very detailed in this story. He said it wasn't a futuristic door. It wasn't sliding open. He said it opened like a car door. And a man stepped out onto the ground and started walking towards him. Because he had to stop. Was this man little and green? No, (laughs) he said this was a normal looking man. He walked towards him, and he walked to the passenger side of his truck. He was the only person in the vehicle. So he walked to the passenger side of the truck, and he told him to roll his window down. He would like to talk to him. And about this time, this UFO that was sitting in front of him shot 50 to 75 feet straight up in the air and sat there, just waited. Okay, hold on. So the guy came, got out of the... The UFO, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so now it's on autopilot. Well, it. We'll or, get to that in a okay. minute. There are there, uh, according to the story, there are more people. There okay. are more creatures or something on this UFO. Okay. Um. So Woody continues. He says the guy walks up. He says he's wearing very normal stuff. He says just a black coat, white shirt, no tie, uh, grayish pants. He said the only really odd thing about the man is his smile. He had a very, very animated smile, very big. And he stood with his arms crossed. And when I mean his arms were crossed, that he tucked his hands underneath his armpits. Like super bad. Yes, like super bad. (laughs) Tucked his hands underneath his armpits, and that's the way he presented himself, in a very non-threatening way. So, the next thing that happened is Woody reaches over and he rolls down his window. Because this isn't modern day. It was a hand crank. He had to reach over and crank down the window. And the man starts to talk to him. But he doesn't move his mouth. Ugh, that's weird. He's speaking telepathically into his brain. And he starts introducing himself, and he, he the way he speaks is very odd. And what I'm going to do is, after this goes up tomorrow, the entire interview with Woody Derenberger, he goes, as soon as this is over, the next, when he gets home, he calls the police, and he calls a local news station. And the police blow him off right away. Yeah. But the local news station brought him in for an interview the next morning. And I'm going to post the entire interview. It's about a 35-minute interview. It's on YouTube. I'll post it on our Facebook and our Twitter page first thing in the morning so you can hear his story. So he describes this guy walks up. And the way that he presented himself was very nonchalant and very non-threatening. And the way he talked was very odd. 
he started off with asking Woody, he said, what are you called? What are you called? Yes, what are you called? And So instead of like, what's your name, what are you called? Exactly. And that's what Woody took it to be was, well, my name, people call me Woody Derenberger. And the man answers back and he says, I'm called cold. Like the like the temperature? Yes. C O L D is the way it's the way Woody described it. And the interaction is very odd. And at this point, cars are driving by. So he The UFO just up like how how high you say? This is oh, okay. it's dark outside. Okay. So that's oh, why it shot it up seven. and it was yeah, it's at seven thirty in the evening in November. So it's Yeah, it's dark. It's dark outside. So this thing's sitting up there and Woody could still see it because he knew where it was. He was able to lean forward and look out of his windshield and see it. But passerbys didn't know to look for it, didn't know it was there, they weren't paying any attention to it. But when people drove by their headlights lit up this guy called Cold. So Woody could see him and really get a good description of what he looked like, how he was presenting himself, how he was dressed, all these things. So he got a really good idea of who he was talking to. So Cold keeps asking him a lot of questions, just random questions. Um, what time is it? What year are we in? That'd be a weird one. What is this What is this place with all these lights? Because they could see the lights of Point Pleasant from where they were. And he, he said, well, that's a town. That's a, that's a city. And Cold asked him, said, well, do people live there? Do all the people live there? And Woody explained, said, no, people live on the outskirts of town. But people go in town to do their business to work and buy things and things like that so it seemed like this cold character was looking for information about the area he also asked Woody Woody uh, what was his job what how did he make a living and he explained him to him he said I'm a salesman I go around and I sell sewing machines Cole didn't know what a sewing machine was, but he explained to him, I'm a salesman. And Cold answered and said, well, I'm known as a searcher. That's what his title was. A searcher. A searcher. And in the interview, he's asked by the that guy doing the interview, well, what's he searching for? And what he answered back said, I don't know. I. He's, and he says in the interview again that, if he wouldn't have been so freaked out and scared, he would have asked more questions. He said Cold was not withholding information. It didn't seem like he was trying to hide anything. He said if he would have had the wherewithal to ask questions, then he felt that Cold would answer him. He would answer any questions that he had as long as Woody would cooperate with him. And he made it abundantly clear that he was not there as a threat. He said, he didn't say, we come in peace, take me to your leader. That wasn't what this <laughs> conversation was. It was more of an information gathering type of deal. So He's searching. Exactly. 
And what he's searching for is the big red flag for this. Because we are talking about a week before the Mothman shows up. So is he searching for the Mothman? Is he searching for this creature that escaped from their spaceship? Or are they from another dimension? And did this thing escape from another dimension? You don't know. And that's all the theories that people throw out. And it's just funny how this happens just a week before. And this interview comes out a week before, six days before the Mothman's first sighting was recorded. So Woody gets done with this conversation with Cold. Cold's all done. And his sign-off for this conversation is, we'll see you in time. Well, okay. Exactly. He said, we'll see you in time, and he walks away. That's ominous. It is. It's very it's very creepy and ominous, but there's more to it. So, the UFO drops back down. And again, the car door opens back up, just like Woody described it. And a hand reaches out and helps Cold get in. Very normal, human-looking hand. Just reaches out, takes Cold's hand, and helps him back into the spaceship. The door slams shut just like a car door would, and this thing takes off into the air. He said he watched it for a few minutes, and it disappeared. It didn't take off like a shooting rocket or anything like that. He said it just kind of meandered away, and he got his bearings about him, went home, called the police, and called the news uh, news station and set up the interview for the next day. So, and of course, it took a lot of bravery for him just to come forward with this. Yeah, because people are going to be like, oh, you're crazy. Exactly. And this is a 50-year-old man who has a career, who has kids, who doesn't really have a lot to gain from this. From from what I've read, he did put out a memoir about 15 years later, but not a lot to really gain from it. And the thing about it is, this is something that can be written off if this was the only account. But the same night, the same exact night, about three miles from where this took place, about an hour later, an unidentified person, and this is, um, this is from the book that I was talking about a few weeks ago, uh, The Mothman Prophecies. John Keel wrote about this where one of his sources um, came to him and said, hey, I had somebody come and tell me the story. And they want to remain anonymous because, and I'll, I'll get to that here in a few minutes. But, so this source came to this reporter and said, hey, I want to tell somebody about this. Something very weird happened to me last night. Again, this is the next night. And goes through the story, tells the exact same scenario. A very odd-looking craft stopped them in the road. It was two people. It was two men. And a guy got out of a car door-looking thing, walked up, asked them a bunch of random questions. What time is it? Where's the nearest town? What's your jobs? All this same, same, same type of deal. Got into this, got back into this spaceship and took off. 
this UFO, and took off. So this is the part of the story that really caught a lot of people's attention, especially John Keel, the guy who wrote the book. That this, it, if it was one person coming up with the story, okay, I get it. This is something that can be made up. But with two people coming forward with a very, very similar story about this searcher named Cold, and later on, somebody else has an encounter with a man called Indrid Cold in a very similar situation. You say injured? Indrid. Indrid, okay. Indrid Cold. So a lot of people, and this is in a completely different part of the country that has nothing to do with this, but you'll hear the name Indrid Cold brought up with this story a lot so people tie the two together is it the same one i don't know but this guy by the name of cold who is a searcher shows up stops somebody in the middle of the road and asks them a bunch of random questions doesn't threaten them doesn't say take me to your leader doesn't do any of those things just looks for information gets back in a spaceship and takes off so now we get to these anonymous men that were afraid to give their name to this story. And the reason being is when they first went to this reporter and said, hey, we saw this thing, don't write the report yet. Told her, do not put this out there, do not put this in the newspaper yet. Let us think about it. Let us really get our bearings about us before you put our names out there and slander us. A couple weeks later, John Keel shows up to interview them because he's wanting to do research on all this UFO activity in the area. He already talked to Woody Derenberger, and that's when his source, this reporter, says, hey, I got these guys who came to me who didn't, who told me this story but told me to hold off on writing it. Do you want to talk to him? He says yes. So they go and they sit down with these guys. And John Keel asks them, says, hey, tell me what happened. They go through the whole story. And John asks them, is it okay if I write about this? And they said, that's fine. You can write about it. Don't use our names. Because that guy from the university told us we shouldn't get involved with this. Guy from the university. Exactly. The only person they told was the reporter, and John Keel now finds out. And the reporter told nobody. I was going to say, you haven't mentioned anybody about a guy from a university. Exactly. Okay. So John Keel says, well, what guy from a university? And they went on to talk about this guy that showed up in a black suit, very odd-looking, like he was disformed and uncomfortable, showed up and told them it was best if they forgot what they saw and didn't talk to anybody about it. Which brings up the men in black theory. I'm wondering if they have like the little forget-me No, that wand. does not come up in, that does not come up in this, but... That's where we're going to get into the Men in Black. And that's the first time the Men in Black is brought up in this story. So do you remember the story of Marcella Bennett? 
the one that really creeped you out. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So that wasn't the end of her story. A few weeks after the Mothman started showing up and her story came out, she had a visit to her house with her husband and her kids. She had a man knock on her door and he was dressed in a black suit jacket with a white shirt and a black tie and gray pants and none of it fit him properly. The coat and the pants were extremely small. Um, His ankles were sticking out the bottom of the pants when he was standing up. He was very large and she described him as very sweaty. And he showed up wanting to speak with the family and in particular her and her husband because they could be a lost relative for someone who had just passed away and they may be entitled to an inheritance. That sounds like a scam to me. It does. (laughs) But this is 1966. Well, this time it's early 1967. So they were very open and welcoming family. Very polite. So they invited him in. He said it would only take about 40 minutes. And he was very precise, about 40 minutes. So they invited him in and they said, hey, do you want something to eat? Do you want something to drink? And he said, no, no food. I don't want anything. But he said, in 10 minutes, I will need a cup of water. He was very particular. Say, that's very specific. Very in 10 specific. minutes. 10 minutes, I will need a cup of water. So he sits down and they describe him as looking extremely uncomfortable. He was breathing extremely heavy. He was sweating profusely. And again, his clothes didn't fit him at all. He said his coat jacket was way too big. His pants were way too small. His shirt underneath was way too small. And just, they said he looked extremely uncomfortable. He said his eyes were kind of bulgy. Like they were kind of bulging at it. it, it the description is very creepy. Yeah. I mean, you draw it up in your head and it, it's like a Tim Burton idea. It's kind of like what I'm doing right now, and it's very it's Tim very Burton-y. uneasy. So he starts asking a bunch of random questions, like, "What's your name? Birth date? Where you born? What kind of markings do you have on your body? Birthmarks? Tattoos? Anything like that?" And then he starts asking them about random things that they might have seen recently. Again, this guy's not threatening. He's not telling them, hey, forget all this stuff. Don't, don't, don't act like you never see it. He just seems like he's asking a bunch of information. So after about 10 minutes, this entire time, he's starting to breathe much heavier. He's starting to sweat more, and he just seems more and more uncomfortable as the conversation goes. And after about the 10-minute mark, he says, I need that cup of water. So... She goes in, Marcella Bennett goes in, gets the cup of water, brings it out to him, and he takes out what she described as a gigantic yellow pill. And he takes this pill with the water, and she said almost immediately, 
the heavy breathing went away, the sweating went away, and he seemed much more comfortable. So this went on for 40 minutes, almost precisely 40 minutes, and he left. He walked out, and she said as he walked out, it sounded like his shoes were wet. Like they were squishing as he was walking out the door. Ew. <laughs> it's very, it's very creepy descriptions. So he walks down the driveway, and he waves, and a black Cadillac pulls up. He gets in and drives off. They get a phone call the next day. Said they found the, they found the closest, closest of kin. We don't need your information anymore. So, the theory here, and the idea is, this is the men in black showing See, up. See, I was, I was wondering, is, are we hinting towards this being the men in black, or are we hinting towards, is this cold again? No. No, no idea of this being cold, because if, he obviously wasn't afraid of just showing up and being seen in his spacecraft and things like that. This seems like it was more of a just trying to find out what people knows. And men in black theory goes from it being involved with the government, with it being a government cover-up to where they don't want people to find out about aliens, to it being a separate entity in and of itself, being made up of these aliens that don't want people to find out that there are aliens. Which, the description that this person gave is very much sounding like this that is... The second a, option. The second option. Like the alien is trying to trick people into making it think that it's a human. And there's a lot of different... There's a lot of these theories out there. And this is one of the ones that is very easy to hoax... Because it's supposed to look like bad makeup. It's supposed to look like somebody just doesn't really know what a human looks like and they try to dress up as a human. Yeah. So it's very easy to hoax, but this kind of goes with everything that goes into this myth. That this men in black showed up and says, hey, I want to find out information. Or, hey, forget what you saw. You really didn't see that. You don't need to tell anybody about that. So a lot of the myth that goes into this focuses on John Keel. And reading his book, it's very, very interesting. The things that happened particularly to him, like people were messing with him. And it's very, very interesting, entertaining, and you feel terrible for the guy when you actually sit back and read a lot of the stuff he went through. Um because he was contacted by Woody Derenberger several times who said that Cold got a hold of him again. Not necessarily in the same way, but he said one time just showed up to his house. He just, there was additional contact. Exactly. And not only was it Woody Derenberger, but it was a lot of other people who he had made contact with trying to get information about the Mothman that they had either heard from these men in black or they had talked to somebody or gotten information from somebody or had a weird telephone call or something like that 
and we're told to get a hold of him about things. For instance, he was told that the night of December 15th, 1977, there was going to be a massive blackout. And he was in California. And he said that was the night that president was supposed to light up the Christmas tree at the White House. And said the blackout was supposed to happen right then. So he was planning for it. He was had his candles ready to go. The Christmas tree lit up. No blackout. But five minutes after that happened, a news flash came across that there was a bridge collapse in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, where he had been the week before. Uh, a lot of misleading information where it seemed like people were messing with him. He said there were times whenever he would be out on the road traveling and he would never know where he was going to stop, didn't know what hotel he was going to stop at. He just randomly picked them. He said he would show up at these random hotels and he would have messages waiting for him there. That's weird. Yeah, and it's it's very odd some of the things that he talks about and especially in his book. If again, I'm going to put this plug in there. If you haven't read the book, The Mothman Prophecies, it's very very good. There's a lot of information and it follows everything that happened in those and and it's about a 3 3 and a half year span, but it covers the Mothman that year, 13 months, extremely well. But there's a lot of things that happened to him, in particularly, where it seemed like this supernatural thing was picking on him, in particular. Um, he got a message at a hotel that the Pope was going to be stabbed while he was in the Middle East. Didn't know when, but about three years after he got the message, someone attempted to stab the Pope in the Middle East. And he tried to warn people, he tried to do all kinds of different things, but no one took him seriously. So a lot of those very, very odd kind of anomalies happened to him. Um, but the men in black, they showed up several times. Mary Heyer, who was the reporter that uh, was his, basically his number one source of information, she was visited by what she described as a very small man. She said he was very short. He had a very odd bowl cut. <laughs> Bulging eyes. Bulging eyes! And just very odd character. She said he could have fit in in a circus. And she, he showed up wanting to know information about all the things that she had seen, all the things that she had heard about, because she had been writing these articles about these UFOs and the Mothman and all this other stuff. So, and again, no threats, nothing like that. And that's the underlying theme with all the stuff we've talked about with the Mothman. Yes, there's a lot of very creepy stuff. Yes, there's a lot of what seems like it could be dangerous or seems like it could be bad. But other than the bridge collapse, 
nobody was attacked by the Mothman. Nobody was threatened by, really threatened by the Men in Black or these UFOs, which were seen all over the place at this point in time. And even Indrid Cold, or Cold, however, if you think that's his first name or not, he shows up and he's not threatening. He's not trying to hurt anybody. He's just trying to get information. So that goes into the theories of what is the Mothman? People think it's a cryptid, which for those of you who don't know what a cryptid is, is just a creature that has not been studied yet. Okay, thank you for clarifying because you've been talking about this. This is like, what, the third podcast? Yeah. And I'm sitting yeah. there, I'm like, I don't know what this word means. Yeah. A cryptid is basically <laughs> a creature that has not been officially discovered. Okay. So it's a study of, it's from cryptozoology, which is a pseudoscience. So it's, people consider it to be a made-up science. Okay. And it's just the study of, and search for creatures that may or may not exist. So, the Mothman may be a cryptid. Some people think he is an alien. Some people think that he is from another dimension. Or she. I, I'm saying he, but it's Mothman. So, could be Mothwoman. Moththing. Uh... Moththing. Moththing. Uh, or some people say... And this goes back to the TNT area where they stored weapons. There was actually a nuclear site there. And some people say that this could be a nuclear experiment or a something like that. Like a genetic yes. mutation or something like that? Something like that. So the myths and the theories and the ideas are abundant. And all the extra stuff that goes along with it. There's one other theory that I have not touched on yet, and I'm going to finish with this. And this goes way, way back. This goes way back. So in 1774, there was a small little war that took place in, at that point, what was Virginia. And it was called the Lord Dunmar's War. And basically it was over... Native American land. Virginians were trying to move in and take Native American lands from Shawnee and different tribes. There was one local leader in the tribes called Chief Cornstalk. He went to the local fort to try and make peace, try and get this all taken care of, Without any bloodshed. Without any more bloodshed, let's put it that way. So, when he got there, it was him and his son and a translator. They were immediately taken captive. Um, of course, they were treated as prisoners of war. They were not threatened or killed immediately. They were actually treated quite well at the time. Because they this was a chief of a local tribe... A lot of power, a lot of say, and could have a lot of influence over this war. But what had happened was a couple of soldiers from the same base were out surveying the area and were attacked by 
Native Americans. Does do not know what tribe, do not know where from. They were attacked and were killed. So, in retribution, in revenge, and eye for an eye type of deal, soldiers stormed into where where Chief Cornstalk was, his son and the translator, and shot them to death. And rumor says it that with his dying breath, Chief Cornstalk said that this land will forever be cursed by the Native Americans in this area. That is the that is another theory that goes into what the Mothman is. That it's a Native American curse? Yes. That is part of this Chief Cornstalk's curse. Because the collapse of the bridge is not the only bad thing to happen around Point Pleasant. They have the largest, or I'm sorry, not the largest, but the highest death toll in a mine collapse with over 300. They've had several bridge collapses. Not just not the same bridge, but several different ones. I would hope not the same bridge. No. <laughs> and they've had a lot of just more than usual bad luck in this area with death and bad things happening um, just with the TNT area and all these other things ever since then. So, yes, a lot of people tie that curse to the Mothman that this is just an omen of that, of that curse that Cornstalk left. Now, there's no proof to that being his dying words or anything like that, but it's a neat little legend, and it ties in very well to the Mothman list. Yeah. Mothman myth. So, on our closing thoughts on the Mothman. Is he cryptid? Is he an alien? Is he from another dimension? Is he part of a curse? Or is he just an omen? Or is he nothing at all? We don't know. We're not sure. But it's been a lot of fun talking about it. A lot of information. And again, this is just beginner stuff. This isn't like we're going in real, real deep. This is basics. So if you really want to learn more about the Mothman, I recommend starting with John Keel's book on... It's called The Mothman Prophecies. Um, there was a movie based on that book, uh, 2002. It's a, it's a decent movie, but um, the book's definitely the way to go. The book was better. The book the book is better. <laughs> it's, it's more accurate to the timeline and what happened. You know what they have to do with movies and make them more... Exciting. S- exactly. And more time frame friendly. But, again, this is just the tip of the iceberg. If you want to do more research on it, there's a ton out there. There is. So, again, with closing thoughts, this has been a lot of fun. And I hope everybody enjoyed it. Again, I'm going to post the entire Woody Derenberger interview on our Facebook and Twitter page. If you're not following us on Facebook or Twitter, um, Facebook is truly, at Truly Legendary Podcast. And our Twitter is True Legend Pod. Get on there and check us out. There's a little bit of more information about the myths, pictures, things like that. And if you like our podcast and you enjoy it, give us a review. 
Give us a five-star review if you would. Share us with your friends and family and anybody else who might like it. If you got an enemy and you don't like us, you're more than happy to share it with them too. That's fine. <laughs> Whatever. But, uh, yeah, so it's been fun. We'll be back next week with a new legend. Bye.